I dreamed of traveling the long road, singing my songs to that distant stranger. Yes, I know it's sad for you, but it's something I got to do. And I will be coming home, back to the mountains, back to being free from all there is to be. Coming home to live and the life I once knew. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Bedtime Bible Boys with Brock, Trey, and Theron TJ. Thanks Thanks for for listening. We love you, Mom. And you too, Gail. Tonight we're starting a new book of the Bible, 2 Samuel. In the last chapter, which is chapter 31 of 1 Samuel, we read about the death of Saul, the death of Jonathan. He was Israel's first anointed king, so we need to get ready for the second anointed king. Which is David. Chapter 1. After the death of Saul, David returned from defeating the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and with dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. Where have you come from? David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened? David asked. Tell me. He said, The men fled from the battle. Many of them fell and died. And Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Then David said to the young man who brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man said. And there was Saul, leaning on his spear, with the chariots and riders almost upon him. When he turned around and saw me, he called out to me. And I said, What can I do? He asked me, Who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, Stand over me and kill me. I am in the throes of death, but I am still alive. Verse 10. So I stood over him and killed him, because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who brought him the report, Where are you from? I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite, he answered. Do you guys remember what alien means? He's not the son of an alien, like space alien. Oh, he's not the son of that. No. No, I do not. It means foreigner, somebody from an outside land. David asked him, 
Why were you not afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, Go, strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. For David had said to him, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. Which I find kind of funny. When I say funny, I don't mean haha, I mean interesting. Because Saul asked the guy to kill him because Saul was in a lot of pain. And he wanted to just be killed rather than wait for the people he was fighting to come take him. Or probably just to be in pain anymore. I, I, want, I would want a quick death if I were him. Me too. Why did David, this is a footnote, why did David consider it a crime to kill the king even though Saul was his enemy? David believed that God anointed Saul and only God could remove him from office. If it became casual or commonplace to assassinate the king, the whole society would become chaotic. It was God's job, not David's, to judge Saul's sins. We must realize that God has placed rulers in authority over us, and we should respect their positions. Which is true, which isn't really the question we were asking, but it's a good point that it says all authority has been put in place by God. So even when we don't agree with what that authority is doing, as long as what the thing that they're asking us to do is not a violation of our relationship with the Lord, then Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. When you say, I believe in the Lord, you belong to him. Your heart belongs to him. It's mutual. He's not forcing you. That's what you chose to do when you entered a relationship with him. The government that was in place while Jesus was alive was the Roman Empire. They were asking about taxes. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus looked at the coin. It had Caesar's face on it. He said, the money belongs to Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He wasn't making a political statement on whether or not the taxes were a good thing. He was saying, there has been authority put over you. Respect that authority. Those are the rules that are in place. The Romans didn't come into rule over the Israelites by accident. The Lord appointed that. You ask, why? Why would he do that? For one reason, it led to the cross because the cross was a form of punishment, a death sentence that the Romans invented. So the cross was prophesied in several ways in the Old Testament, even in the way the Israelites moved around in the way they were told to set up their camps while they wandered in the desert, it formed a cross. Even certain things on the high priest's garments spoke of the cross. There was a lot of pictures of the cross that were to come, and the cross was the way that the Lord had decided to punish sin in himself when he came to this earth as Jesus. That's one reason. Even though we didn't understand it, 
or even the, though the people at the time didn't understand why that corrupt, mean government was in place, it wasn't for them to understand. We'll go on in chapter 17, or verse 17. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and ordered that the men of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jeshar. So this is a song by David. Your glory, O Israel, lies slain on your heights. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. O mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain nor fields that yield offerings of grain. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan in life, they were loved and gracious, and in death, they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen, the weapons of war have perished. In verse 21, David puts a curse on Mount Gilboa. He says, May you have neither dew nor rain, nor fields that yield offerings of grain. And that's because of what happened on Mount Gilboa. I watched a sermon once where Joseph Prince showed... Oh yeah, he showed the mountain in the spot with nothing on it, no trees. That's right. He showed it where there wasn't life there. There wasn't... Was it grass? There was nothing. The other side of the mountain has life on it, but that side of the mountain doesn't. Well, maybe not even air. There's air. Of course. But it just looks like a, a flat area of rock. We'll watch it again and I'll show you. I just think or it's... soil? Yes. I just think it's neat that there are remnants of the word in the physical world today. Sometimes when the Bible says that such and such is still there to this day, you have to remember that to this day was at the time the author wrote the words which could have been thousands of years ago, right? Whereas there are other times we actually are able to go see the physical reality of what the word describes. Even if the physical reality wasn't there, that wouldn't hurt my faith. My faith isn't built on the physical reality, the ge geographical reality of what the word says. My faith is built on something that's so much deeper than that. 
It's on a relationship that you feel and you know that he's inside of you and you know you're saved and you know your father cares for you and you love you and he loves you. It's a real relationship. There's no geographical thing that can prove to me otherwise. I know my relationship with him is real. We have a relationship and it's it really is what the word is about. I'm just pointing out that I think it's really cool when you have both. The relationship and some of these things actually show up in our world, in our earth. Maybe we could go there one day. Or maybe not. Maybe we could. I think it'd be fun. You guys want to someday? Sure. We'll plan on it. All these places in the Bible exist, and it will be a fun trip to take when you guys are older to go see all of them. I haven't seen them, and I would like to. I think it would be fun. That is the end of chapter one. We'll look forward to reading more tomorrow night in chapter two. I love you, boys. I love you, too. You guys are good kids.